0: Can off your head and introduce the show, please. <laughs> Why are you wearing
1: a, a giant fez? It's between a fez and that hat that the Orthodox Jew men wear. No, it looks like a Shriner's hat,
0: but in green. Uh,
1: the, the, the hat's shape is ambiguous. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Pizza Spins. My name is Emily, and I am here today again with our other illustrious hosts, Angel Winklepleck and Jackson Burnett. It is Angels Week this week. And we are going to be discussing an album by PJ Harvey called Dry.
0: Angel, why don't you tell us a little bit about it? So this is PJ's like debut album. Um, it was released in 1992. She had only been like on the scene, I guess, for about, mm, well, she started in 89. So I can't do math or 88. What is that like? Four, it's four. four years. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so she's only been out there for about four years um, cool. performing. Um, but this is just her like debut album very raw very emotional and I'm very excited to get into it so am I I'm very
1: curious as to what our receptions are going to be collectively and I hope that they don't all sound the same
0: (laughs) I think uh I think this album I maybe I'm being ambitious maybe I'm being optimistic watch your
1: tongue watch your tongue
0: I think everybody's going to like it. I think we're going to mostly agree, Okay. Okay. one of you is going to say, I know, I know I've jinxed it and I know it's over, <laughs> but I, I wanted a brief moment of pretending. Okay. Okay. So this, for this episode, um, I'm not really going to focus too much on the history. It's like kind of important, but there's really not that much. I know I said four years, but there's not really that much that's like publicized <laughs> about mm-hmm. the, the before times for this album. So I want to focus more on the music itself and I wanna focus on the enigma that is PJ Harvey. Word, let's do so, it. Yeah, a little bit of background. Polly Jean PJ Harvey was born October 9th in 69 to a couple of blues loving quarry workers and grew up on her family's farm in Corscombe, I think I said that right, in Dorset, England. Um, Corscombe is a small town and in 2011, it only had 444 people but that doesn't mean that PJ was starved for art and experience. Her parents were personal friends with Ian Stewart from the Rolling Stones, and acts like Captain Beefheart, Bob Dylan, and Howlin' Wolf took over her family's record collection. So this is like a really big music-intense environment. Yes. I, al- I already have a
1: question. Yeah, go ahead. What is a quarryman? I don't <laughs> I
0: okay. I think yeah, uh that I think a quarry that... is where you get rocks, right? Yeah.
1: A quarry is where you smoke weed. A quarry is where you get laid.
0: <laughs> yeah, you get laid, but then you get a yeast infection, so what? with it?
2: That no, that a quarryman is a member of John Lennon's first band. <laughs>
0: what? We all have the correct answer.
2: Okay, oh. so <laughs> the, quarry, the quarryman is what the Beatles were called in like the late '50s.
0: Still doesn't answer my question. <laughs> I what think is it's like a miner. I think it's the same thing as a miner. Yeah. Yes,
2: it's, it's very similar to mining, but quarries don't go like into the ground. They go like down. Like they bore a giant hole. You know, into
1: going the into the ground is also going down, right? I think quarries are like caves. <laughs>
2: No, 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 no. A quartz. So imagine all of the quarries around Knoxville, but they're not full of water, they're just giant holes uh, where people get
1: rocks and
0: other gotcha. stuff out of a so, big old cereal ball that's been carved into the earth. Yeah,
1: okay. what was in the quarries in Knoxville? Quartz, right? I don't
2: know. I don't know.
1: I also don't know what was in the quarries in Dorset, but whatever. Yeah. Nope, sorry. Okay, good. <laughs> we not, did not. We, we settled that
0: one. <laughs> <laughs> so w- with all this music uh, around her as a, as a child, the way that teenage PJ wanted to rebel, she would bring home Duran Duran and New Wave records, which I think is really funny. I like to imagine her parents getting mad because they're like big music people, and then she brings home Duran Duran, and they're like, what is this trash? I think that's funny. <laughs> so pj is going to the electric broom cupboard in bridport every weekend um to see bands that they come from london they come from all over to perform um and then jeremy hogg member of i think it's automatic delalmany or something i didn't look it up i should looked have it up. To. and i didn't <laughs> um yeah i'm not a fucking scholar i don't get paid to do this shit anyway jeremy sees her at a party with her guitar and she's singing and he's like okay i'm really into where she's you know, she's really talented. So he introduces her to his bandmate, John Parrish. John Parrish has been a longtime friend and collaborator of hers ever since. Um, she started turning up to their shows at the Electric Room Cupboard and she's giving John her tapes. And that's how she starts getting gigs at this venue that she's been going to every weekend. She starts performing with them. So in 1988, she joins Automatic Delamini and is able to flex her musicianship. Um, one thing I didn't really know about her going in, she's actually extremely versatile, and she plays multiple instruments, including guitar, sax, drums, violin, auto harp, and the harmonica. But while she's with AD, she's one of three vocalists, and she also covers sax and guitar. She doesn't really actually end up playing instruments for them too often. Um, oh, or no, wait, that's wrong. She played instruments, but she wanted to sing, I think. Oh, cool. She didn't get the chance to sing that much, I guess. Even though she was one of three vocalists, they didn't really, like, include her very much i guess um i'm not exactly sure because there isn't really any official ad releases that have her on it although there are bootlegs of the album that Mm. can be found with her on it um they're pretty rare i think though but in 1991 she splits from ad and then she forms the band pj harvey with rob ellis and ian oliver of her former band Uh, but ian left before the recording of dry and then was replaced by steve vaughn then they played their first gig in April. At, I think it's Charmouth Village Hall, but it might be Charmouth. I didn't look up anything. <laughs> we don't have to. I don't care how it's pronounced. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that gig didn't really go so well. They basically cleared the house. And after three songs, a member of a publishing company that happened to be there approached them and was like, hey, we'll pay you. We'll still pay you. Please stop playing. You can have your money. Please stop. What? I don't know why it was so bad. I don't know. Oh. i i didn't actually look for any recordings of it although i should have tried i don't really think it would have been easy to find Probably considering not. even the album with her yeah I, I really don't think it would be i think it'd be a very long shot if any footage of that exists but i <laughs> want to see it if it does
1: <laughs> pizza spins podcast at com.
0: yeah if you have that that secret underground footage please we won't share it to anyone else we yeah. just want to see it personally <laughs> all right <laughs> so the band moves to london in june so that pj can take some art and sculpture classes at central st martin's college of art and design she still maintains like a love of art and she still does sculpture at least as recently as 2013 i think there's a bbc interview with her um and she mentions living on the coast of england and collecting like beach trash to make sculpture out of which i think is awesome that's
2: interesting that's good stuff
0: i like that she just pulled shit off the off the ground and then I mean, it's not an original thought, but I'm sure it's interesting to look at. I think she's also uh, had either writing. She has a book of poetry. Um, She either has writing or maybe sculpture that's been featured in a couple of like gallery exhibitions. That's cool. Yeah, she's all. I mean, she does everything.
1: I love that. I think that like, especially when you're famous for doing one thing, it's like frowned upon for doing anything other than that. But I, oh. I
0: absolutely love that she, yeah. that she doesn't take that. And one thing she hates is being put into any sort of a box. So mm-hmm. she will never <laughs> allow that to happen. But um,
1: never work with children or animals. Hey. <laughs> Look at that little baby. Oh, Misto. Hi, Misto.
2: Misto, I give her food. She come over here. She say, mm-hmm. I don't want that. I want headphones.
0: Thank you, George Thoroughgood. <laughs> Who has been watching Misto for the last ow, week. How, how,
1: how, how. Is that
0: Did I do that right?
2: It's one leg for every headphones from now
0: on. Jackson, were you ever a member of the Butthole Surfers? <laughs> <laughs> Call back. Sorry. All right. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah, As- yeah. <laughs> So while PJ is in art school, they're also recording some demos and sending them off to record companies, hoping for good news, as all new artists do. And their demos actually do get them signed with this now defunct indie label called Two Pure, who releases their first single, Dress. They put out Sheila and I Gig with the same label, but by that point, they're being swamped by major labels, and they eventually, eventually and they eventually give global release rights to the full album away to Island Records under the condition that 2Pure could be in charge of distribution in the UK. Mm -hmm. Kind of a confusing deal, but basically 2Pure gets to keep everything local (laughs) on on the UK, and then Island Records gets to have free reign elsewhere. Dress is huge, and then John Peel, I don't want to say and then, Dress is huge, and John Peel declares it single of the week in Melody Maker, which is a weekly, was a weekly music publication in the UK, active from 1926 until 2000. Um, It still is active, it's just rolled into NME now. uh, Oh, okay. That makes sense. um, Yeah, and then in March 1992, March 30th, I believe, Dry was released to huge acclaim. PJ gets herself compared to Patti Smith, which PJ herself considers a lazy and shallow observation, but both have an image of a powerful independent woman making brash rock music, so I get it. I also kind of agree that it's a very easy comparison to make because pretty much the only two people that are like that. Every woman that's ever made music has been compared to Patti Smith. Absolutely, yeah. And what was Patti Smith compared to? I don't know. Who was before her? I guess nobody. But... Much like
2: Patty Smith, this woman can make music.
0: <laughs> wow. I like a few Patty Smith songs. No, yeah, but I mean, that's definitely the perspective. Well, we'll talk about uh, the reception to Dry towards the end. Um, because male critics in particular have a lot of very interesting and confused things to say oh i am sure that they do it's very funny but <laughs> it was it was pretty bad for pj at the time which we'll touch on in a bit mm-hmm. um yeah she gets compared to to petty smith and then in a 2000 interview with filter pj admits that the album is very extreme because she thought this would be her one and only chance to cut a record She's like, I got to put everything into this because I don't know if I'm going to get another chance. She gets several more chances, but she doesn't know that at 23.
1: Well, I think that's the only way you do get several more chances. Being a little philosophical artist here, but, you know, lay it all <laughs> oh, yeah. out on the line. And that's when people can really receive it and and want they want more.
0: For sure. Yeah, she worked her butt off for this album and people were very much there to support it. Very much ready for it now sure. we can talk about the album it's out there so in our in our timeline it's been mm-hmm. released we can discuss it what do y'all have to say I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go last okay do you have any questions for us first or just no I want to hear just raw like pure thoughts what you guys think and then I'll give my opinion
1: okay well Jackson you are always so much better at articulating yeah. music yeah. stuff I so go first pretty
2: good for an album of Patti Smith covers although all the songs kind of <laughs>
0: You did. Jackson Jackson, I'm not physically next to you, but I'm close enough uh that if I had my car right now, I would break break this bottle over your head. follow <laughs>
2: you. No, I liked the album a lot. It is my favorite of the ones we have done so far, yeah. other than the Madcap laughs, which doesn't count because I already Damn,
0: I was really hoping that I would have like surpassed that. Like I mean, of... I didn't make the album, but
2: I don't think that I'll ever like Wait, an album you I'm before. sorry,
1: Jackson,
0: hold on. You aren't
1: PJ Harvey. What? Well what are we what, are we
0: what are we doing here? Or... <laughs> was, was it, it the it, hair, it, the it, different it, accent, or the complete lack of musical talent?
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I thought it was very good.
0: Jackson, I'm so sorry. You're trucking on despite the nonsense. Please continue. <laughs>
2: I thought it was very very good uh gothic rock music. Please stop. I did. Why? What do you mean funny?
0: For- gothic rock? Gothic rock, yeah. No, it's easily, it's like punk grunge blues, basically. Yeah. That's what gothic rock is. Oh, did we listen to the same out? We're going to talk about goth rock because I'm going to do Sisters of Mercy uh I think next. But I I might
2: be, I very well might be using an inappropriate genre label because Whatever, it very much does sound like an album that is coming out of the eighties and has a lot of eighties influences, and I don't listen to a lot of eighties music, but it sounds a lot like uh, it does. It sounds like like really dark gothic post punk music to me.
1: Do you have an, another like band example to compare it
0: to? Name one time that she used a synthesizer on this album, Jackson. You don't have to have synthesizers for not all. New order would beg to fucking differ. <laughs> <laughs> they would like a word. Yeah.
2: Um, I would say if you are uh, going to make the comparison, which you shouldn't because it is lazy, uh, to a previous artist that influenced the scene that I feel like this comes from, I feel like it's more of a Susie and the Banshees influence than a Patty Smith influence. I also, my prior knowledge of PJ Harvey um, is mainly from, she has a lot of guest appearances on a lot of Nick Cave albums,
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, which is mainly how I'm familiar with PJ Harvey from before this. And having heard this album, that is not surprising to me one bit because they they very much have similar tastes. They're definitely from the same... Graduating class of musicians working in this kind of really dark music that to me does sound like gothic post punk with a harder edge. Like Angel said, there's no, there might be no synthesizers on this album at all. If there are synthesizers, there's not much. Um, But it still to me all has this very dark gothic edge that takes some of the, you know, the bass playing styles, some of the vocal styles of post punk. And goes harder with it. I get uh-huh. it.
0: I just think that that read more as blues to me than anything else. Mm-hmm. I can see that, but it's I don't a... disagree. I think they're related. I mean, yeah,
1: it's kind of a fine different. line. Yeah, yeah. I guess what would make
2: this different from gothic post punk, now that I think about it, would I think I agree? It would be the lack of synthesizers for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... it's not like it's required. That was that was a joke, but it is a very common.
2: I mean, it's kind of hard to classify or. Or it may just be that I don't have enough experience with the genre. It feels hard to classify, but I can definitely name other artists who make music that remind me of it. Well,
0: if this helps you classify it, uh, most people do lump at least these first two albums hmm. um, in with, actually, maybe first three albums in with punk. Of course, also with blues and
1: Yeah, usually when I see it described genre-wise, it's, like, blues punk. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, or, like, sometimes grunge gets thrown in there as as the years progress.
2: uh, The bass playing on this album, especially the first three tracks, is the best bass playing that I have ever heard outside of jazz.
0: Noted. I'm going to learn how to play every song on this album. Yeah, Learn Joe yeah
1: because i feel like that's that isn't that the song where the bass is like or something like that i'm i'm no bassist but
0: i i really like like that sound like they call they call him the human bass
2: (laughs) it's actually adrian Ballou playing a regular guitar (laughs) It's
0: adrian baloo just opening his mouth
2: apparently steve vaughn played bass on the album yes does not have a wikipedia page so i guess he didn't do much else but i respect steve a lot
0: well the thing about pj harvey is that she does become a solo act uh pretty soon after this album i think rid of me was recorded as a band and then after that i think it's solo she does have like a touring band and people that like john parrish that regularly collaborate with her um but yeah, there was never really like a solid band. She's not, I don't want to say she's not like a collaborator, but she's definitely more of a more of a solo mm-hmm. person for the most part. Um, I don't know but how yeah. to describe that. <laughs> my, my
2: main thoughts on the album, if I could <laughs> sum it up in one brief blurb, is that as soon as the bass line got going on the first track, I was like, I really like this album. And then I never changed my mind.
0: That's amazing. I'm so glad nothing ever pulled you out of it. Do you have any like particular tracks that you want to talk about or any like thought, anything that jumped out at you, I guess, about not to sound like a professor, but (laughs) anything that like
2: (laughs) just got your attention? I I feel that it is, it's a very good album, but it was for me, it was, it was a little bit front loaded because the first three tracks were far and away the best for me um that being said i have only listened to it once at this point and i'm definitely going to be doing a pj harvey full discography listen through on the basis of this album
0: you really should all of her albums are absolutely amazing pj harvey is one of my favorite artists um i i do agree with the front loaded thing i think that it's not ordered amazingly i think in the second half it kind of it doesn't really drop off but it does change it becomes a much slower album it's still not slow or sleepy but it's it definitely changes tone um but I like that normally I don't normally I don't like when an album kind of take has a lull because it usually loses my interest but this album is unique in that way
2: a lot of debut albums are like that many yeah. debut albums are front-loaded because the artist's Either it's the record company calling the shots and they put the most commercially appealing songs first to sell more, or it's the artist calling the shots and they want to put their best work first. So people will be like, I am now a fan of this person and want more.
1: I I guess, but I'm just such a bigger fan of structuring the tracks in your albums conceptually, like trying to at least build, build a narrative around the album as opposed to you know like you said front loading it with hits so that people will stay i yeah.
0: mean this is technically a concept album oh tell me more about that yes so yeah. yeah i wanted i want well i want to hear y'all's thoughts before i give you any facts that might change what you okay to... okay
1: well yeah i'll i'll say this i think um today was a very very cold rainy day in knoxville tennessee and I think that this album pairs particularly well with that. Um, Sommelier.
0: I'm yeah. Like...
1: When I think about A Rainy Saturday, I think about, you know, being in my feels and like this is the perfect album. If you are going through a difficult emotional time, I think the raw qualities that her music has, even though it is wonderfully recorded and uh, very it's very conventionally pleasing to the ear i think there's this like raw emotion to her lyrics and her voice that it's so visceral i really i really love this album some of my favorite tracks um i think happy and bleeding gets my number one
0: very good very good song
1: if not that fountain
0: Thank you. Because yeah. I feel like Fountain is kind of a sleeper because I feel like you don't realize how good it is until halfway through. At least I didn't.
1: Yeah. And well, you know, it has that like, like Stone A Rock drone to it that I just like, I really, yeah. really dig that. It reminds me of like Luna by the Smashing Pumpkins, just this like, like sad, drudgy song. I love that.
0: Yeah, and for me, um, it was one of those songs that, usually songs that sound like that, I, it's easier for me to tone out, too. So, and because it's, like, one of the last songs on the album, the yeah. first few times I listened to this, I didn't appreciate Fountain. But going back, I was like, this is one of my favorite songs. It's in my top five favorite songs of this album. Yeah. Bit of an underdog for me, personally.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's not really, it's not like a pregame album, you know? I mean, there are a couple songs that I think you, you can maybe slip in there, but yeah, but it's
0: not... No, yeah, <laughs> this album is a, is, is a pep talk in a way that pregame albums could be, but it's not that kind of pep talk, no. so...
1: Well, tell um, us, tell, I'm so eager to hear about the concept.
0: Yeah, well, what I mean when I say it's a concept album, um, she, she's not the speaker of this album. Like this album isn't about pj harvey Mm -hmm. at least allegedly um she's someone that really tries to do what david bowie did and recreate a character that she attaches to each album she stated that she hates repeating herself and she wants that like every record to be unique um and this character i think i i don't want to say that she's lying about that because i do think that's true But I also wouldn't be surprised if this album was a little bit more autobiographical than she might want to admit, especially in her later years, it might be kind of embarrassing. Um, But I I take her seriously, I believe her, but, you know, maybe it was inspired, I don't know, because there are some similar things that were happening in her life at the time that she wrote this album. Um, But for me, this album is really fantastic. It's very raw, very visceral, very aggressive at times. Um, and we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a lot of people consider this album to be very masculine and have a very masculine quality to it. Um, mostly mostly uh, critics think that, and I get where they're coming from, but I think that she still talks about things that are uniquely very feminine, her own struggle with femininity, the expectations of that as she's growing up, because she was only 23 when she recorded this album. She was our age she wasn't really i mean she's like an adult but you know she's still young and has a lot of mistakes to make so i understand why they say that but it, it, it irks me because i don't think it's inherently masculine to confront sex and confront um the realities of life the same way that male artists do i think that's what a lot of male music critics got tripped up on is she was singing about sex but it wasn't a way that was appealing or made sense to them because it wasn't the way that they experienced sex of course i'm talking about cis people here cishet people uh, everybody else's reality will be different but that's what she's drawing on because that's what she knows and i think that's why critics say that it's masculine is she's she's dealing with it in a way that's a little more uncomfortable for them that they can't quite wrap their head around and i have well, some examples but mm-hmm. i'll let y'all have some thoughts first well
1: my my initial response to that is I mean a lot of the album is exploring how lyrically at least is exploring how men or yeah men cuz he is is the pronoun he is in there so I'm assuming men how men view this either PJ herself or this character that she's created a lot of it's talking you know will he like me in this dress? Mm-hmm. I think, or like he can love me and her at the same time. You know what I mean? So right, it, it seems kind of desperate. There's a lot of like desperation Absolutely. in the
0: lines. But we know that this person is desperate. We know that this person is convincing themselves, talking themselves into, yes, I want this kind of attention. And yes, I'm willing to do this to get that attention.
1: I think it, it, that is not in any way inherently masculine.
0: No, like, this is a very self-sacrificial, at least a couple of the songs are very self-sacrificial. I mean, they're, I understand why they think that, but I think they're confusing aggression and passion and Vulnerability. Uh, um, yeah. With masculinity,
1: which is weird because it's not usually associated with masculinity, but like being honest and, and confronting mm-hmm. your feelings is not inherently masculine.
0: I think what's what really confuses the critics is that she's confronting it in a way that is not meant for men. She wants right. male yes. attention, but she's not. She's letting them in on a secret, almost. Yeah. that might make them feel a little insecure is what I think.
1: It seems like throughout the album. She's I think she saying... controls in
0: the game a little bit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she is saying, all right, I'm doing this. I know that I have to do this. And I also know that I'm doing it only for your benefit. I have to do it because of
0: you. And yeah. I think they're like, oh.
1: That makes people uncomfortable. It seems confrontational, which is inherently masculine. Yes, that's it. So yes.
0: there we, we, we go. Put together, together are, we have two brain cells. <laughs> <laughs> and we
1: formed a thought. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, Jackson. We've been kind of rolling over you.
0: That's okay. We've been, we've been trying to make the same sentence for 20 minutes. Go ahead, Jackson. I, I,
2: I couldn't possibly have more meaningful input on that oh, topic.
0: Thank you, Jackson. Fair. But yeah. <laughs> I am um, curious what you thought about it. Like, um, her I, never, to
2: everything. I never, ever, ever, ever get lyrics the first time I listen to an album. My mm-hmm. verbal processing is just too slow. So... <laughs> I'm look. I'm very much looking forward to the, the first time I listen to the album. I always get like the music and the the tone of the singing, which usually gets you pretty close to what the song is about. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to the lyric snippets we're about to get.
0: Oh yeah, PJ Harvey would love you for that because she actually she didn't include lyric sheets with her first two albums. She only included it uh, or first three. Sorry, she included it with "Is This Desire" and I think '98 is when that was released. Yeah. Um which was also her slower album. So people thought it was like a step for maturity, but really she doesn't include lyric sheets because she's like, you don't need the words. Music Mm. shouldn't be separated lyrics from music, from how it makes you feel. You need to experience it all as one, which I appreciate and respect. But I also think that breaking down the lyrics is important. (laughs) I want the words, Polly Jean. And she makes them just as important. She makes it just as much of a part of the song. So it's not like she overlooks it because she's like, Oh, it's not important to me, but I think she just approaches it differently, but sure. she is very deliberate with her lyrics. She's a very good songwriter.
1: And it's kind of fun. You have to work a little bit harder. I guess pre pre the age of the internet, you would have had to work a little bit harder anyway.
0: Yeah, there are a couple songs uh that were almost unintelligible. <laughs> and it's not her accent. She speaks very clearly. But uh just how she was singing there for some reason, couldn't quite get it.
2: Um I do have some very broad thoughts on that topic because yes music critics uh, are really bad to you unless you are a, a het man reading from the script.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and the reason for that is that music criticism, like professional music criticism, not like what we're doing right now.
0: Oh, or, <laughs> we'll right? get paid one day.
2: <laughs> or people who write reviews online as a hobby or something. People who are professional music critics are ultimately marketers Mm -hmm. and um, marketing, one of the main tactics of marketing uh, still to this day, even though the problems with it are getting more attention now, but one of the biggest things with marketing is, is this a product for men or is this a product for women? Mm -hmm. So if if a music critic who ultimately is there to sell the album, even if they write a bad review, they're there to sell the album, ultimately is what professional music criticism is about if if it's not like clearly for men or clearly for women they're they're like
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're not where yeah. do i put it The only
2: way we can sell this is by calling it an enigma <laughs>
0: <laughs> i guess it's my turn for thoughts about the album and then lyric breakdown sounds good or i can i can probably uh roll the two into each other because they're pretty related um yeah. While I think it's ridiculous to say that this is a masculine album, I do appreciate that there is an androgynous quality to it that I really appreciate. Not necessarily because it's aggressive or because it's vulnerable or anything like that. I just, I think it's inherently androgynous because PJ Harvey is inherently androgynous. Um, I don't know how much you guys know about like her personal life. Um, As of the moment that we're recording, she's cis, we have no other information. But she does like prefer the company of men. She's not very um, keen on expressing her personal feelings outside of her art. Uh, she finds it hard to talk about that kind of thing, which obviously those are not inherently masculine qualities. We're using a very uh cis-centric lens here, but you know what I mean? Like these are the motifs that exist throughout all art. So I think it's fair to talk about them in that way. Yeah.
1: The motifs that we've identified as either masculine or feminine, but we can also acknowledge, especially, you know, being in the presence of a trans person that not everybody exists on
0: that, uh, on that scale. Exactly. It's like, we know that real life is more nuanced than this, but Mm -hmm. if we're talking about, uh, criticism of art, that's what we got. We have a dichotomy. <laughs> but
1: you know what? We can change that. Yes, we can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, we can. Uh, bleh, don't. Ew, just, what? <laughs> I'm kidding. It just reminded me of like, wasn't that Obama's slogan in like 2008? We can change that. Yes, we can. Oh, <laughs> God. Born entertainers, <laughs> all of us. What the fuck was I talking about? Born masturbators,
1: all of us.
0: (laughs) I was talking about how androgynous this album is. Um, Yeah, just for, like, disclosure purposes, I'm a non-binary lesbian, uh, so don't yell at me, but (laughs) Um, I do think this album is very androgynous because PJ is androgynous, so she, although as far as we know, cis, um, doesn't care about the trappings of being either traditionally feminine or masculine um she doesn't care about leading a traditional life in either respect she's just herself and she writes these albums without any intention of there's nothing wrong with this but she does she writes these albums without any intention of being a female artist she's not trying to appeal to women or to men she's not trying to market to any particular demographic she has no interest in being pigeonholed herself she doesn't care who her fans are well i mean you know as far as gender she doesn't care about um any of that she's not interested in playing the game of I'm a female rock star right she's not analyzing
1: she's not yeah. she's not looking at analytics to try to figure right. out who her audience is and then writing right. for that
0: I think when you compare it to people who although I know Courtney didn't really want to be pinned like this. I think if you compare it to like Hole or like Riot Girl albums, which were her contemporary or Riot Girl artists, excuse me, which are her contemporaries, right. um, the people that she's not producing alongside because they're in different countries, <laughs> but for the most part, um, like they're just different scenes. Mm-hmm. But she's still just doing something entirely different, but it's somehow just as impactful. Um, I d- I don't want to diminish Riot Girls um like riot girl punk or anything i have i like it i have no problem with it but i appreciate that she's just doing something a little different at the same time so it's still just as powerful it's still just as feminist in its own way but it isn't inherently uh gender specific really yeah
1: yeah yeah it doesn't follow the traditional third wave feminism movement of leaning into aggressiveness right. hey, well i think uh...
0: third wave feminists are trying to not distance themselves from sex but they're trying to say i I want sex as an individual and I want it this way. Right. Right. But PJ is like pleading still. It's still almost trad the way she's like, no, I I'm, I'm leaning into this thing that I've been taught forever. Instead of rebelling against it, I'm working with it, but it's making me miserable. And she's admitting that instead of, Saying, no, I'm stronger than that. She's like, no, I'm not stronger than that, but I'm gonna be. But she's filtering that concept through an androgynous lens. Yes.
1: Which is what makes it unique to Riot Girl. yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's why I like this album so much. Even though I'm non-binary and a lesbian, I love this fucking album, and I find a lot of the songs on it really relatable.
1: Well, we can all relate to that feeling of desperation, just desperately wanting to be liked or wanted... Nice. Which this album reeks of. That's why I say it's a really good breakup album.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And since I'm a fab, I'm assigned female at birth, um, I do understand the experience of like, you know, compet and wanting yeah. to uh, appeal to men, even though I don't give a shit what they actually think. I've been taught that I'm supposed to. Yeah. So part of me does care, but not in a real way. And I'm mm. suffering the whole time, you know? Yeah. That's what so, this again, album's about. Yeah. All right, uh, another song that you guys wanna discuss? No, you don't. I just don't. wanna hear
2: Angel's favorites, because I I seriously, I do not get lyrics the first time. I have no <laughs> idea.
0: Well, my favorites are, in no particular order, Dress, Victory, Sheila Gig," and Fountain. I know that Dress and Sheila Gig" are singles, but they're singles for a good reason. I think these songs are fucking bangers. I mean it, these songs mm. are so fucking good. Um, and I know that uh, in the case of Dress and Sheila Nagig, they are, there are a lot of repeated themes in this album, um, especially between these two songs. And there's a lot of repeated religious themes. There's a lot of biblical themes specifically. Um, like the entire song Hair is literally just her retelling uh, Samson and Delilah. Right. But um, I forgot what the fuck I was saying. <laughs> these are my favorite songs. <laughs> These are your favorite songs. These are my favorite songs. Okay, yeah. Um, I want to talk about Sheila and Gig really bad because I, I really like it. Do it. This is obviously uh, another attempt at seduction. Uh, you know, she's saying, look at these childbearing hips. Look at these ruby red, ruby lips, these work strong arms. It's almost like a primal example of what our like monkey brains think is sexy. Right. Is best for propagation? It's very, very rudimentary. It's not sophisticated stuff. Right. I really like that um like like a suitable mate sort of thing but then she also says bottle full of charm so she's like look I'm not just a body I have a brain too like be interested by something come on I'm giving you everything um and I also thought uh, another example of the humor is the gonna wash that man right out of my hair thing yes. from South Pacific my mom used to sing that all the time when she would wash my hair so I really liked that the first time I heard yeah. it oh that's so cute yeah it's very cute I liked it Um, I I like her humor throughout the album because I think it is a very dark. uh, I don't know if it's like a self depreciating album. It can definitely come off that way. I think with a a less
1: complex view of the female experience, it can come off self depreciative. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think on, on first couple of listens, if you're not really listening hard, you might think, you know, it wasn't that hard. But I think you might think that it is just like a woe is me kind of thing. Sure. Um, but I, I think she is making fun of herself in a little bit. But I think she's, I think, I think she's self aware to know that it's ridiculous to feel this way, but it's like inescapable at this point.
1: Certainly, this entire album
0: reeks of self awareness right right and then she's like i've been trying to show you over and over she's like i've been trying to do this like it's almost like a stubborn like please think i'm attractive and just not letting go of it yeah. uh, so maybe this isn't the first time that this speaker has has tried this with this particular person um i also like the dirty pillows reference to carrie i thought that was very funny um, i didn't get that yeah like uh, uh Carrie is wearing this revealing dress in the movie uh it's not really that revealing but her mom's an insane person so right. she sees her and she's like cover your dirty pillows and I just oh yeah, I forgot <laughs> yeah it didn't click with me immediately either and then I like rewatched the original Carrie and I was like oh my god <laughs> yeah wow yeah she pulls so shit from everywhere um Do you guys have more thoughts oh oh i guess i should explain what a sheila nagig is because it sounds like i've been saying nonsense um did you guys look it up do you know anything no no cool so a sheila nagig is a statue um found in the uk uh mainly like england and ireland um and it is a uh I i guess typically a woman um but it's just a person with a vagina um who has like a crazed face and is holding like this engorged vagina wide open, just like with their hands? Wow! It's a fertility statue. Yeah. But in the song, he has flipped that on the speaker, and he's like, "Oh, you're disgusting! You're just bearing your vagina for me just right. by, you know, wearing this dress admitting that you want to have sex with me. That's right. disgusting! You're vile. Go oh wash your Oh my breath.
1: god, that is so fucking clever.
0: She's a fucking genius, dude. Because,
1: I mean, that happens, you know? Yep. It's like the second you you either say, I am not interested in you, or you are determined to be not worthy of interest, mm-hmm. it's this, like, disgust. Like, well, then why yeah. are you even here? Because you only exist to hold your vagina open yeah. for me. Yeah, so... you're
0: either a ready and willing hole, or I want nothing to do with you. Oh, God. Yeah, it's very... First of all, I just want to say as a lesbian, PJ Harvey is very attractive and I don't know why you would ever say no, but whatever. (laughs) My other favorite that I wanted to talk about is Fountain. I think that is another very bluesy song. Um, I like the repeated themes like cool skin, washed clean, wash him away from me, back to the South Pacific Mm -hmm. line. There is a theme of water throughout several of her first albums, which I think is interesting. Um, I actually highly recommend reading Mark Mazzullo's essay on it. Um, It's it's behind a paywall in a lot of places, but you can find it for free. Um, uh, There's like a site, uh, it's like Flip html 5 or something. Mm -hmm. It's like 18 pages, Um, but he explores the album in uh, reference to like literary critique, which is really interesting. Compares it to a lot of stories of like women drowning and things like that. Mm. Um, That does crop up a lot in her work, but I I just like seeing that repeated theme. Yeah, and in and, and the beginning of Happy and Bleeding, she talks about, you know, picking the fruit and then we're naked and embarrassed, you know. That's obviously a reference to the Garden of Eden. Of course. Um, and she brings that back with, like, petals green covers me in all my shame in Fountain. Yeah. There is just this, like, prevailing theme of, like, nakedness and, of course, being vulnerable physically and emotionally, just being very raw. Um, and there's also, obviously, this album, despite being a feminist album, or maybe because it's a feminist album um, a little bit leans on you can tell that the speaker's emotions are very hinged on how this man perceives her yeah um, another example of this is in fountain when uh, she says hand in hand he's my big man stays with me some 40 days no words then goes away i cry again
1: mm-hmm. and then the
0: song ends with her saying on my hill i wait for wind which i presume to mean uh to like carry her away from the situation or something or just for something else to like lift her up basically right, yeah Yeah, this is someone who's, and I've been there, you know, not on the man, but, you know, very dependent on how someone else is uh, perceiving her. Yeah, sure. I do want to talk about after the album's release, because that is also pretty important for PJ as an artist. Um, She's always been very wary of the press and media attention. She doesn't really give many interviews, as I said earlier, but she's very concerned with her public image um not in the way that she like curates it really i mean kind of but more so that she avoids curating it pj believes that the media and the general public view her as this blood guzzling she demon who wants to tear out and eat the hearts of men which is probably correct but she doesn't really want people to know that i guess (laughs) and in some ways she does like embrace this raw persona in a 2017 interview she said it's important to witness suffering and have music and lyrics as a witness to something happening that particular quote was in reference to her 2011 album let england shake and the politics of england but it still says something about how she approaches songwriting i think i think that's still very telling unfortunately Her fear that she's totally misrepresented isn't 100% unfounded. After the release of Dry, the press was able to create this image of PJ that she says runs totally antithetical to who she actually is. Like I said, the speaker of Dry isn't really Polly Jean Harvey, but it's just a spurned lover desperate to please a man, even at the expense of her own comfort and morality. And even deeper than this desire to please is the need to feel wanted. This character is motivated by what she thinks others want from her and not very much about what she actually wants from the world around her. This is another way that you can see the blues influence, I think. It's very vulnerable, pleading primarily for love or comfort. I think that's a big theme in blues music as well. And to give you an idea of what kind of criticism she was facing from the mainly male critics at the time, here's a quote I found of somebody reviewing Dress from the Chicago Reader. Instead of sounding like a brazen sexual adventurer, she comes off more like a dial-a-gal for Sigmund Freud's one sex line. Fuck off, man. I didn't ask you. I don't know what that means. It's like you didn't even listen to the fucking album. This is not a sexy album. This is not promoting sex. This is a sad album. (laughs) Jesus, grow up, Grandpa. Oh, it's bad. And he was not the only one. Um, A lot of critics, especially then, as I said earlier, they saw PJ as masculine. Um, A couple examples of that. In 1993, former Melody Maker writer Simon Reynolds said that Polly Harvey's songs derive their savage energy from a conflicted attitude towards masculinity. And to which PJ responded, I choose not to analyze myself and I like wearing dresses. I don't know if that means I'm not a tomboy. (laughs) So why does everything have to return to the binary? Like, why? Because when it comes to female musicians or even uh, male musicians that bend the binary in that way, it's just a fixation. They cannot move on from anything. Well, right.
1: Yeah. Everyone has to determine whether or not you're a woman or a man so we can continue to form opinions about you without really just learning who you are.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just take all the work out of it for me and ascribe to the system that's already laid out for you, please. (laughs) That's what they want. Yeah. After the release of To Bring You My Love in 95, some expressed that it was strange to see PJ in a dress. So people still carry that after dry, but I don't really... (sighs) I don't understand where that I mean I do understand where that comes from, but it is very, very frustrating, not even just as a fan, but as a person. Honestly, I think she she'd
1: be more understood as an artist by her audience if she was pop, if she was be, coming into popularity now.
0: Maybe. I mean, she still is well, okay, I, I guess she's not as popular with a certain age demographic. I actually no. don't know if I've met any uh real pj harvey fans i think the only other pj harvey fan i've ever heard of is friend of the show captain ed captain ed twitch stream you should absolutely watch it is a i love it i love watching i think it's every other week now um i think it's every other saturday but definitely tune in it's
1: a great (laughs) time we love it when good old claude hardy is on there it's wonderful thank you (laughs) specifically thank you captain ed for being such a wonderful supporter of our show it's kept me going.
0: Yeah, we definitely appreciate it. We love the support. Uh, We love to support your show as well. But yeah, the first time I tuned into it, I I heard him play Down by the Water and I was like, oh, okay, I'm invested now. Oh, we're
1: (laughs) cooking with
0: fire here. I have never met anybody that's a PJ Harvey fan, but I know she's popular. I know her albums are very successful. She's critically acclaimed, but where are they in the wild? I didn't know PJ Harvey before you turned me on to her. That's insane to me. I mean, I kind of get it because I guess she was like really coming into it before we were born. <laughs> well, yeah,
1: but we listen to tons of artists that are dead and gone. I mean... You're right. I mean, I, I, it's really... It's just... I think it just has to do with what makes me. mainstream media and, like... Yeah. You know, this is totally something that's up my alley as far as, like, musical taste. Um, it, I just never saw it because I was too busy looking at, you know, I don't know, fucking Panic! at the Disco and <laughs> The Veil and all the shit that was popular when we were teenagers
0: i'm really surprised that you never came across pj harvey and looking at riot girl i know that she's kind Uh of a juxtaposition to riot girl but she's still like courtney love said "Polly Jean harvey is the only person who makes me know that i'm shit yeah so she was very influential to the riot girl she was a contemporary like i said of that scene even though she wasn't involved in it she was the same age range making not the same music but music with a similar statement
1: yeah well i really only listened to like poppy riot girl so you know
0: <laughs> that's fine there's nothing wrong with that I was just surprised that you hadn't come across there before
1: yeah no I mean again I wish I had but I but looking back on it now having a little bit of a greater perspective on music I definitely only exposed to like Bratmobile and you know oh, I, love Bratmobile. I yeah. love Bratmobile too but so <laughs> but I associate with just you know every but every if you know riot girl you know Bratmobile I would describe mm-hmm. PJ I, it almost seems like an insult to describe this album as a Riot girl album, and I don't know why I feel that way, and I think well, I need to like, analyze it critically.
0: I think it's because, I mean, I guess you didn't know this going in, but I think PJ herself wants to be distant from that kind of thing i don't think she's not a feminist i just think she's got her own idea of what what that means which is fine i don't think she's uh i've never seen her espouse anything hateful so for now benefit Mm. of the doubt Mm. um i just think that it's not her scene really at least not explicit way i definitely think she you know wants equality and of uh, course you can
1: belong to the feminism or even the third wave feminist scene and not like love riot girl you know exactly
0: and i like riot girl but i think the third girl feminist scene was pretty fucking turfy yeah and it's hella turfy yeah it's kind of at the core of it but whatever still pretty turfy actually pretty fucking turfy yeah unfortunately yeah um before we move on though jackson did you ever listen to pj harvey before this or no at least hear of her
2: only on uh i've heard of pj harvey
0: oh that's right you said earlier
2: i've uh yeah i heard of pj harvey uh but i only ever heard pj harvey on her guest appearances on nick cave records yeah yeah and And they
0: they dated for a time in the mid 90s i'm not sure if that was around that time or after poor nick cave oh i know (laughs) (laughs) we'll get uh... nick oh good i'm very excited but as far as her being a, a masculine artist and uh, people thought it was weird that she was in a dress, you know, um, PJ did say herself, she likes to keep close male friends. She doesn't really talk about her feelings. I feel like this is another example of conflict between the way PJ sees herself and the way the media interprets her behavior and her music. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I, I can understand why her work is viewed as masculine. However, I do think a lot of the songs on this album in particular deal with femininity and the expectations of womanhood in some form or another. So I don't think that's, I don't think it's 100% right or wrong to say that it's a masculine album. I just think it's an androgynous album.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we should just always be criticizing why we are calling things, you know, masculine or feminine and what our definitions exactly. of that even are. And especially as it's changing and continues right. to change.
0: Yeah, very important to unpack that in, uh, in just your everyday life. I think, again, viewing it through an artistic um lens is different than on like a personal level because I think we have different I, I think you can acknowledge that like the moon is a feminine motif without saying the moon is a woman right
1: <laughs> yeah I've been trying to show you over and over look at these my child bearing hips look at these my ruby Look at these, my work, strong
0: arms And
1: you've got to see my bottle full of charm I lay it all at your feet You turn around and say bye to me He says shit again
0: But since Dry, PJ has released 10 full-length albums and four compilation or demo albums. She's received the Mercury Award twice. She is the only artist so far to do so. She got that for Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea, which is the album that I was originally going to cover for PJ Harvey but this album just spoke to me a little bit more. I felt like there was more story to it and more to dive in on. So I ended up changing my mind. Um, she also gets the Mercury Award for Let England Shake from 2011. And she's been awarded an MBE from the Queen. If you don't know what that is, it's member of the Order of British Empire and it's the lowest ranking honorary honorary award that you can receive. I mean, Ed Sheeran's Wall-Eyed Ass also has one. So, but <laughs> PJ deliver- PG deserves it. I'm sorry, I just hate. The Ed Sheeran is looking at fucking New York and California at the same time. I I
1: wasn't looking for a promise or a commitment, but (laughs) it it was never just fun. And I thought we were different. We can (laughs) talk
2: all day about what a pile of fresh garbage Ed Sheeran is.
0: God, you know, I think if we have a Patreon, if we're like at that level at some point, we should do a special episode like once a month for an album we fucking hate an album we despise that's can't so stand, sexy and just shred it i love that i, I think I that'd be very fun i mean oh obviously God. we don't want to disparage the artist whatever i'm sure ed sheeran's a nice dude i'm her- yeah, i, I heard- can disparage her. the you artist know, I, I heard from joey fatone personally at fanboy in 2015 <laughs> that ed sheeran is very nice so i don't want to <laughs> slander him, I, I don't I slander him but i think his music sucks shit isn't he like a creep? I don't yeah, know. He looks like a
1: one. creep.
2: He hangs around in bars Uh-oh. and hits on women. And when they turn him down, he's like,
1: "I was oh. never looking for a promise or commitment." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jackson. <laughs> Good to hear, folks. Joey Fatone from Insync Fame is a rape apologist.
2: <laughs> he hangs around in bars. He hits on people, and then when he gets rejected, he's like i'm ed sheeran mate <laughs> you can't turn me down i'm a famous i can purchase you
0: you don't have to tell me you're ed sheeran because i already know because you look like a fucking stoat a stoat a stoat it's in the weasel family look it up
1: what's a stoat oh and you know, i th- thought you meant ron i thought you were talking about harry
0: potter <laughs> All gingers don't look the same, Emily. <laughs> so, son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> I was already thinking Weasley and it
0: just. Great. Now we're going to get canceled for Joey Fatone slander and inter white uh, violence.
2: Also, right white there crime. are.
1: No, we'll of... get sued for Joey Fatone <laughs>
0: slander.
2: <laughs> there are also a lot of rumors that um, Ed Sheeran and Leonard Cohen actually used to hang out with <laughs> on Jeffrey Epstein's plane we actually really have
0: to stop because i don't action <laughs> oh my god We can't drag different random people through the mud every episode
1: i put in listen i put in the primary source on last week's episode i put in the clip of courtney saying those words so yeah. it's it's not us Okay. Yeah, if,
0: if it's slander, talk to Courtney Loves Lawyers because we yeah. don't have any for sure. Back point.
1: off, Cohen.
0: <laughs> Isn't he dead?
2: Leonard Cohen has died. Yeah.
0: So what is this? Right now? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> the good news about Dry's media reception is that it does have more appreciation these days. In 2016, Laura Snapes wrote for Pitchfork, it's a young woman's desperate and naive attempt at seduction, where riot girls in the Pacific Northwest were pouring acid on the grotesque mating charade. Harvey, fresh out of her first relationship, intensified the danger by playing the willing ingenue, which kind of echoes what I said earlier. She is embracing in a way um, the dance that at least cishet people do um, with each other, particularly, you know, cishet women, cishet men. Uh, women dressing up like the clown and dancing and hoping for something (laughs) hoping for some shred of validation
1: jeez man that's a really wonderful and i'm always so amazed at the way music critics just put things into words that i cannot in a way that i cannot just that was a beautiful way of describing that album i think much better than saying it was very masculine yeah, or saying it's
0: Sigmund Oops. Freud's 1-800 dialogue. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Those
0: were very reductive, and I really liked um, what Laura Snape said. Yeah. Well, I don't I'm not sure, but I would hope that Laura would have had a similar insight, being much closer to the subject, in 91, than the male critics would have. Not yeah. saying that if you're a man, you can't write about it, because again... You don't I, have to apologize, Angel. I'm not apologizing. I'm just saying mark mazullo does a really good analysis of it he's very uh critical of the other men that write about this album um and he doesn't fully distance himself from it but he's like i don't think that that's a correct way to approach this at all again i I highly encourage you uh to read it let me actually pull up the name of it instead of that way you can search for the article because that's going to be the best way to find it
1: we Um, can we can um link it we can
0: we should bio yeah Yeah. we have there's a there's a free version of it but it's called revisiting the wreck pj harvey and the drowned virgin whore great
1: and that'll be on the instagram that'll be on the instagram we'll get that set up we'll we'll connect a little link tree so everything's right there for everybody angel you have done such a good job on this and i just like thank you so much for exposing me to this album i just want to say that
0: yeah please uh if both of you like it please explore i'm glad i wasn't wrong by the way i'm glad we all enjoyed it but please explore her other work because they are all very distinct the first three albums are kind of in the same vein but after that she really branches out i know you guys have probably listened to stories from the city because that's what i originally was gonna do um hopefully you guys see that as a different lens because a little snippet about that uh album she deliberately wanted that to be very different from her past albums. So I think if that's the first album you hear from PJ Harvey, it's a bad example because it's very unlike anything she's written. Um, she deliberately writes it as a departure. It's much happier. It's much. Um, it's a little more superficial. Um, not in, not all the way through. There's definitely more depth to it than that. But um, it's essentially just a standard pop record. She just wanted to write a happy record. Right. Um, But with these, I think you understand a bit more about her and her artistic approach to things.
1: Awesome. Is it pizza time, Jackson? I think it might be time to talk about the pizza. And Jackson hasn't eaten it again. (laughs) You gotta lie this time.
2: I thought the pizza was really bad.
1: Okay, well, not like that. (laughs) (laughs) No, we won't lie. Listen, we'll we'll keep it authentic over here. Jackson doesn't like flavor. And let me tell you something.
0: Bren's... Pizza would have killed him.
1: Yeah, Bren's Grecian goat is not a good uh, introduction to pizza. I will say... it.
0: (laughs) If you've never had pizza before no or if you've never listened to pj harvey before pizza purists will hate him (laughs) (laughs)
1: um but yeah no it's definitely like not something jackson would like so
0: angel refresh me it's uh, a white sauce let me look up the uh the actual ingredient list because i don't 100% know but let
1: i think it's worth knowing because i think the more we tell jackson the more i i hope he comes to appreciate
0: it have you ever had an olive jackson
2: they look like they're gonna be really wet and then they're super dry
0: that's extremely fair you know i'm not a fan of olives but i love this pizza and it is very olive forward um i i do want to add an addendum here um it is the grecian goat with artichokes and i will explain why the artichokes are important later but first the ingredients so your basic grecian goat is olive oil cheese kalamata olives an olive tapenade and tomatoes and then topped with goat cheese sounds very simple it's very decadent emily go ahead yeah uh uh, you know
1: i understand that being from tennessee i'm not gonna get good pizza right like this is not the pizza capital of the world Uh, I am familiar with pizza like Domino's and Papa John's and the amazing Cece's Pizza Buffet. But, uh, Bren's is a pizza chain that I respect, I think. And this pizza is also a pizza that I respect. I love it. Watch out for the salt. Yeah. So, I think it's the tapenade that really does it on the, on the uh, sodium. I don't really know what is in it. It really just tastes like olives and sea salt or whatever but um, it can be a lot so be careful. That's why I think the artichokes are you know a sublime addition because it, it definitely cuts through that saltiness but if you like that, if you like a little Mediterranean on your pizza, you will dig this. And the other thing that I will say If you are going to order this on a date or around someone that you may kiss, bring a toothbrush because (laughs) man, it is
0: fragrant. If you can't handle me at my most vampire repellent, then you're not worthy of anything, buddy.
1: (laughs) But I mean, other than that, I seriously, I think I'm going to give this pizza a, a nine out of 10. Yeah. Uh, everything was good, crust was great. It had that sort of, you know, it melted a little bit in your mouth, but it wasn't like uh, uh, soggy and it wasn't stiff like cardboard, you know, we weren't like, gnawing
0: it off there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and just as a side note about tapenade, that is chopped olives, capers, and anchovies. I believe the anchovies are where the saltiness comes from. Yeah.
1: I ate anchovies tonight? Congratu- congratulations congratulations is so jackson having heard all of that what do you think your opinion of this pizza would be that's an abomination that's too much too much what
2: Every just take it down to the cheese
0: oh jackson
2: maybe the salt can stay
0: jackson you have no respect for culinary good. innovation i swear to god
2: emily your description of the salt sounded really great to me <laughs>
0: What what about it?
1: Sounded great. So much salt.
0: <laughs> there That's is a nice lot of salt. Jackson, you can't just for two episodes in a row not eat the fucking pizza and then have an opinion. You need to pick a fucking lane.
2: Olives don't go on pizza.
0: You're a son of a bitch. Olive, olive, the only place that olives go is on pizza or on an enchilada. Anything else is sacrilege.
1: Okay. Uh, I love what? a good salad and olive no. on a salad. Are you joking?
0: An olive on a salad is the worst fucking texture I've ever experienced in my life.
1: The the texture does not change from the salad to the pizza.
0: It does. I don't know why. No, it it actually doesn't. The base is different. Jackson, you're also autistic. Can you weigh in?
2: (laughs) The only thing that capers are good for is if you're out of ball bearings.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for the dad joke.
1: That is really the best thing you could put to this since you didn't try the pizza.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. So what I think about the pizza, obviously, I love it. I, I do think the reason, M I already said it a little bit, but the reason I, I opt for the artichoke edition, although it is an upcharge, the the artichokes balance out this pizza i do think that on its own it is a little too salty it's very hard to eat more than like one and a half two pieces because of the tamponade Mm -hmm. if you're a big salt fan you're gonna fucking love this that being said it's not overwhelming um but i do think the artichokes help cut it and make it just a little more pleasant there's nothing wrong with it it is but there's also nothing wrong with adding the artichokes to improve it. You know, if yeah. that's your speed, I do think the crust is immaculate. I appreciate that it is chewy um, and has just enough resistance. I don't have to rip at it like a dog, you know, I don't have to like, Arr! I don't have to shred it, but you no. know,
1: yeah. i like
0: that. I'm like, yeah. I can just bite through it. I don't have to like struggle. I don't have to like shred it like a werewolf. Yeah. It's very nice. Thank you for the sound effects. I don't know what. Um, I think the feta is amazing. I think this is a very, um, it is a strong flavor. It's salty, it's sour, it's in your face. If you're a traditionalist, if you like cheese, pepperoni, if you like to play it safe, probably not your pizza. I'm just looking out for you. But if you want something a little different, go for this pizza. I promise you, you're not gonna regret it. This is easily one of the best pizzas I've ever had. I don't say that lightly.
2: Well listeners, today, the day we're recording, uh, electronic music fans the world over received some sad news. Uh, one of the genre's most promising up-and-comers, uh, British artist Sophie, uh, unfortunately uh, died uh, in a tragic accident. So next week, we are going to be covering an album that all three of us really enjoy, 2018's Oil of Every Pearl's Uninsides." We look forward to seeing you then.